In just a moment, we're going to give you a little bit of a historical background to how America became and the condition that it is and so much uh, historical baggage that we have when it comes to race and cross-culturalism. And my wife will be the scripture reader, and I'm sure you'll be happy about that. Um, I want to tell you what's going to happen after this introduction. We've got some uh, testimonies. The first one will be by James Lem, a uh, single brother in the family ministry. And the second one will be by Ricardo Poynton, a single brother in the singles ministry. And then, as a treat to close out our day, is a uh, 15-minute segment with Chuck and Carol Bray. And technically what is happening there is, remember, it's 15 minutes, Chuck. As Chuck has a mini-sermon, and Carol has a sermonette, which is a female sermon to sisters. Okay. Okay. And so, brothers, it is okay for us to listen in. Okay, right? So good. So anyway, um, the cross-cultural uh, message that we have of the cross to the world today. You know, our country, America, has a lot of baggage, like I said before. It has so much baggage that at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, we are the most segregated that we are at any other time of the week. So it's actually penetrated the church rather than the church penetrating the culture. As a matter of fact, on Saturday nights, people are more integrated in bars than they are in church on Sunday morning. So there's something amiss there. So we kind of want to talk about what happened, how we got there. Our uh, Eurocentric heritage, going back you know, a couple of thousand years, Anti-Semitism is a part of the DNA of Western society. The Reformation did nothing to help that. Matter of fact, the leading reformer, Martin Luther, was at a period for about a decade was so insanely angry towards the Jews, he talked about burning down their synagogues and their places of residence. Uh, There's an amnesia in parts of uh, Europe historically about the fact that Jesus was a Jew and how God felt about the Jews. There were some seminaries in Germany that actually taught in the early 1800s uh, that Jesus wasn't a Jew, he couldn't have been a Jew. Um, so we got in the, you know, there was a back and forth tug of war on the issue of slavery. Uh, Spain and Britain went back and forth a couple times. 1833 and 34, they finally resolved that slavery was wrong and illegal. They made it illegal through a long process. But we had already been a country. And we had their, a legacy of their old issues into who we were. At this time, Trish is going to read a passage and an answer to that. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So that's how God views things, and that's how we want to view things in the church. And I just want to say even today... We are proud to be with a very multicultural church. Just take a look at yourselves. We're not perfect people. We haven't got everything figured out, but we are figuring something out. And I believe we have a message that the world can hear, we can improve upon, and make sure we get this message out. We also have these imperialistic leanings. Colonialism went unchecked as these various countries were coming in to take over and become the, the dominant force culturally in this country. And so natives, of course, they were viewed inferior, and they were the ones who suffered the greatest from this as we nearly decimated not only the people, but a culture of of virtues that we have uh, little evidence of uh, in consciousness of today. When an alien lives with you in your land, do not mistreat him. 
the alien living with you must be treated as one of your native born. Love him as yourself, for you were aliens in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. There are a number of different passages in the Old Testament where God talks about how to treat the minority group, the less enfranchised group, the less empowered group, and remembering for the Jews, the Hebrews, where they had come from, for they were once the minority, they were once the foreigner and the alien. And so that is what, how God wants us to see these things. America has another God besides the God of the Bible. Even though we have a strong Judeo-Christian tradition uh, through the European influence on our country, but this God is the God of greed. Let me give you an example. It comes out of the story of Hawaii in 1778. It was discovered by uh, Captain Cook. And it wasn't long before uh, people came over, uh, rival countries wanting the paradise for themselves. They brought over disease. They brought over uh, attitudes that eventually uh, really competed for the, the values of the Hawaiians. The Hawaiians today will tell you that some of the virtues that they had weren't that great. But many of the things in their culture was fantastic. They have one of the leading mechanisms in the history of civilization for resolving conflict called Hoyoponopono. And it's a very principled communal process that nearly was destroyed because in the 1890s we took over this country illegally and morally through the sugar barons in cahoots with people in D.C. That's how we got this country. And we nearly lost all the cultural virtues. In seven, the 1970s, there was a renaissance to bring it back, and some of those virtues are being rediscovered. In 1992, uh, President Bill Clinton apologized for America's treatment of these people, but it came from greed. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his law, the islands will put their hope. Old rivalries die hard. The issues between Spain and France and Britain and Germany have played out in the Caribbean and South America, Central America, and certainly on the border of the newly forming United States. There are three factors that made it hard for the Mexicans. First of all, they spoke Spanish. Uh, they were native in heritage, and also they had a darker skin, and there just became an attitude. The Ku Klux Klan went after them as vigorously for about 60 years as they did other races, of the, like, such as the Jews and the African Americans. The divide was deep, and that's not the only rivalry like that. Hate is fickle. 1943 or 42, January, right here in California, we created an internship for Japanese Americans, people that were loyal to... America, people that wanted to serve America, felt like they were on the side of America in the war, but they were put in camps that felt like prisons. The next year, we switched and found a new scapegoat, and these were Mexicans in Los Angeles. There was a style of dress that came from the Puerto Ricans called zoot suits. In some ways, it's probably the predecessor to hoodies. It wasn't liked by white people. Okay? And so they just didn't like the way these guys dressed, especially servicemen. And so when servicemen were coming in early 1943 and saw these Mexicans wearing zoot suits, they saw it as a picking a fight. And thousands upon thousands of servicemen beat up, or hundreds beat up the Mexicans while thousands cheered. After an investigation was completed, they realized that not one single 
Mexican or Puerto Rican or anyone else on that side wearing zoot suits had instigated any fight or struck anyone. And so they kept the sailors out of Los Angeles for a while. Um, the wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the hole of the cobra, and the young child put his hand in the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord. That prophetic vision in Isaiah chapter 11 is about the church, the church from the first century to the church today. The people that are supposed to be divided, just as certain creatures are supposed to be divided, won't be divided. They'll be brought together and be safe to be together. And I love this vision because it is a hope that we have for the world today. Really, as we're coming to a close, and at the end of Black History Month and the end of this introduction, we have another issue in America's baggage, and that is guilt over perhaps the, the worst mistreatment of the people. In 1619, about 20 indentured servants came over, and that was the beginning. In order to justify turning people from another nation, ripping them apart from their families, and making them slaves of wealthy people, they needed a theory to justify it. Much as the Nazis viewed Jews as half-human. They viewed Africans as three-fifths of a person. After 250 years in a civil war and a very tumultuous story that we give attention to every February, which is great, uh, we finally got the legal status for African people of African defend, descent um, equally uh, with the rest of America. We still are not done with the implications of those legal uh, challenges, but that is part of our heritage. And we have got to face our American history straight on, that it goes without saying, according to Dr. Colonel West, that there's a profound hatred of African people seen in slavery, lynching, segregation, and second-class citizenship is at the center of American civilization. As wonderful as America's virtues and history has great pieces for us, we should acknowledge this side too. It creeps into the church. Now, when you see this picture, I want you to think of this. His purpose was to create himself one new man out of two, thus making peace and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. Just for a matter of the historical record, it's really important to know that the gospel first reached Asia Europe, African countries, and even island cultures during the same year. It does not belong to one particular culture or race or people. It is a gift to all mankind. Three or four countries of northern Africa were represented in by the third decade of the early church. We have teachers in the New Testament who come from these African countries. In the second century, we have prominent teachers, Tertullian and Clement, who come from Africa. The, the baggage does not come from the Bible. 
It does not come from the beginnings. It doesn't come from the core. It comes from a defect that happened. Now, it would be very easy today to be mad at a bunch of white people who made all these problems happen in America. Okay. We, we don't want to react to a problem with a new problem. What we want to do is say, what is God's answer? And let us as a community embrace these answers. And we look forward to hearing next from James Chin. Thank you. Good morning, church. How are you? Um, you know, it was interesting when Steve asked me to do this. I texted him this morning. I said, so am I still doing this? And he said, uh, yes, four minutes. I was a little taken aback by that. I didn't really think I could talk about something uh, about me for four minutes. But, um, you know, not to be confused with James Chen, I'm James Lem. <laughs> I, I know we kind of look alike, although he is younger and probably a lot better looking than I am. But... Um, you know, uh, I'll come back to that in just a second. You know, Steve, Steve was, um, like I said, he was asked, asked me to talk about cross-culture. And, you know, I think one of the things for me is that I'm Canadian. I don't know if a lot of you know that. I'm Canadian. I was born in Canada, in Toronto. Um, yes, go Canada. We won the gold medal today in, in the Olympics. <laughs> uh, just to let you know, in hockey, you know, that is kind of our sport. Um, <laughs> But I've been here since 1990, so I, it, it's really almost not quite half my life, but a long time. And I've really feel, I was really conflicted this week. Canada played the United States. And, you know, I, I'm a Kings fan now. I grew up being a Toronto Maple Leaf fan, believe it or not. But uh, there's, there's teammates on both teams. And it was kind of – I was conflicted. You know, who do I vote for, Dowdy or, or Carter for Canada or, or Quick and, and – um, uh, a couple of the others on, on the United States team, and um, I'm getting off on a little tangent, but, uh, you know, the thing for me is I'm also, um, I think like Martine's definition, I must be a Canadian, Canadian, yeah. I'm Japanese, my mother's Japanese, my father's Chinese, um, and also on my mother's side, uh, she has Hawaiian blood, so I'm, I am kind of a melting pot, um, and maybe that's maybe one of the reasons why I'm up here, but um, I think that um, one of the things that really struck me becoming a, a Christian in 2009 is that um, once I became a disciple, it took me a long time, well, a long time, a few years to really understand what that meant. And becoming a disciple, um, just by reading over the scriptures over and over again, I really felt like one of the ones that really stuck in my mind is in Ephesians that we're, we're all cloaked in God's armor. And for me is that that's what makes us all the same. And that's what gives us um, our culture in our church is that we are all cloaked in um, God's armor. And I feel like that is, I don't look at everybody, okay, you're white, black, whatever. We're just all God's children. We're um, we are all together. We're all brothers and sisters. And I think that's what makes us feel, I mean, I feel like this is a safe sanctuary. You know, I can um, uh, talk about, you know, my sins and everything else, but also, too, 
that uh, we love each other as brothers and sisters. So I just want to leave that with you. Um, I love what Steve, he said that it's kind of based on Colossians, and you know, we are all the same, um, even though we all come from different places. And uh, that's what makes us amazing brothers and sisters. Thank you. Good morning, guys. Um, my name is uh, Ricardo. As I said, I'm from the Singles Ministry, and yeah, Woo. Um, and I get to share a little bit about my life. Uh, that's what. <laughs> Sorry, let me put the timer. Okay. So my name is Ricardo. I said I'm from the Singles. Um, I'm grateful for this opportunity to share a little bit about my life uh, with you guys, my family, the West Side. Um, I was actually born in Monterey, Mexico. I was actually brought here by my mom when I was two. Um, She came here with a visa, um, just running away from basically a relationship that really didn't work out and um, didn't quite pan out. She came to the States, um, you know, she was a single mother looking for some, something to, someone to help her basically. And uh, she found a brother and her her brother, physical brother and um, and she married or got together with the guy I call my dad, had my brother and my sister. And from the age of two to eight, I had a, a really nice life. I feel like, wow, I have my mom, I have my dad, I have, I have everything. And I was like, I felt really happy because, you know, every time when it was parents' day or something, like, your parents would show up. And I felt like, oh, I have both of them, even though my dad wasn't really a good role model. Like, it was, it was, uh, it was, it was challenging. Um, so after the age of nine, at the age of nine, more or less, um, I was introduced to, to God. Um, my mom was Catholic, and she really introduced, you know, praying to God and learning about God. And um, I felt uh, really happy. I felt uh, kind of scared because she would always say, like, God's looking at you. Like, if you do something wrong, he's watching you. And I was like, oh, gosh, like, okay, I'll do my best, you know. And, um, you know, that, that idea made me, like, it, it helped me grow spiritually, actually. But um, after I found out and I learned about God, um, things started to get a little tough for me. I think after, between the ages of 10 and 12, I, you know, like, um, you know, we don't, we don't all come from perfect families. Some, some are pretty good, you know, but I, I think mine come, I come from a broken family. And I think, you know, putting together my brother, my sister, who were, are my half-brother and sister, but I consider them my blood, you know. They're, they were born here and they're, uh, you know, citizens and, and, um, I love them. They're just, they're my family. I grew up with them, and I call my dad, dad. And um, I think because they were also broken human beings, I didn't know really so much about God. I think they um, they tried their their best to stay together, and it really didn't quite work out. They really ended up uh, breaking apart because there was physical abuse. There was verbal abuse. There was so much of that stuff, you know? And I was like, wow, like just growing up, I was seeing all this stuff. I'm like... Okay, like, where does God fall in all this, you know? I'm, like, trying to learn. I'm trying to figure out. I'm, like, okay, God is great. But why is is it like this, you know? Why is it all broken, you know? And it, eventually they they separated. They got a divorce, and, uh, you know, they made their separate lives. And I ended up, you know, moving with my mom, my brother, my sister. And um, and uh, they uh, the guy she chose, the third, I guess, marriage, um, he, he was really not he, – he was also a guy who, you know, has issues – and it caused a lot of conflict in her family. And, um, you know, like, coming here, like, I'm like, I didn't really think so much about, like, oh, you know, you're not from here. You don't, 
have a social security. You know, you can't. I didn't think about that stuff. I'm like, I'm going to school. I'm learning. I have my family. I have, you know, I have what I need, you know. And uh, but it was really till 2009 when just the bomb exploded. Like uh, the guy actually, when I was going to college and uh, I came home and my brother was crying and I'm like, why are you crying? He's like, oh well, my, my mom was, you know, like her her husband tried to like hit her. I got in the way. I got hit, you know. And I was like, wow. Like and I was like, you know, growing up with this stuff, I'm like, I'm angry. I'm like, no, I gotta. I got to break this cycle. I got to do something. So, you know, I called the police on the guy, and they took him away. And, you know, I was building a family. I was helping. Then I became the the head of the household, per se. And, uh, you know, I had to figure out, well, how am I going to feed the family? How am I going to help my brother? How am I going to help my sister? And that's when I had my Job moment because I was like, okay, like now we're going to live great. You know, it's me, my brother, my sister, my mom. Like we're going to make it happen, you know. But um, that year, actually, my sister got pregnant. So I was like, okay, that makes it a little harder. And then <laughs> I was like, that makes it a little harder. And then, uh, and then my brother was uh, in high school, and, you know, they told me he's actually doing drugs. Like, you need to do something about it. So I'm like, there's so much pressure, you know. I was like, okay. My mom's like, you need to get a job. You need to do this. And I'm like, mom, I'm not from here. Like, how do you want me to work, you know? Like, I don't have a social. Like, what would I do, you know? There was this pressure to be a man and to do things, you know. And I was like, I don't, I don't know, you know. I don't know what to do. And. I got, I was praying, I was like going to church, I was like, why isn't God listening to me? Why isn't he listening to me? And, you know, that's when I, I kind of gave up. I was really upset at God. I was like, look, he's not giving me a job, like, it's, it's, it's not going to happen, you know? And um, then a friend of mine said, I got you an interview at a restaurant. You go check it out, you know, like, just tell them what your situation, maybe they'll help you out. So I ended up going and, you know, it was, uh, I don't remember what day it was, but. They told me I got an interview. I told the guy, like, hey, man, I'm going to school. I'm trying to support my family. I'm the head of the household. I need a, I need a job, you know? Like, I need to do something. And he said, all right, you're hired. Just go clean tables. Just do something. And I was like, oh, oh, this is God, you know? Like, this is God right here. And, uh, you know, I was really grateful. And um, I started working. And four months after that, like, I met a girl named Deborah Connor. I don't know if you guys know her. Deborah. Woo-woo. So, anyway, she... Uh, you know, I told her all my life. I was like, this is my life. This is where I come from. Like, this is my baggage. And, and she said, you know, you should come to midweek. And I'm like, what was it was midweek? And then she's like, just just check it out. You know, talk to the guys. And, you know, I started, I appreciate, you know, Mike Gerald. He was really like, I got really open with him. And he said the Bible me, Aaron Young, and Brent Takeda was not here. But, you know, um, you know, I was really grateful because for the first time, like the first time showing up there, I was like, wow, like, my church was all Latin, and it was all, like, everyone's so Spanish. But when I got here, I was like, wow, like, there's, like, so many, like, races here. Like, what's happening? And I was like, is there something, what's happening here, you know? And I was like, and then everyone was loving me, and I was like, wow, they love me. And, like, they don't even care, like, if I'm brown or I'm this or I'm that or if I have papers or if I don't have papers, if I have a social, if I don't have a social. You know, they, they love me, you know? And... uh yeah, so that's uh, that's basically how God took me from, he transitioned me through all this to, to get to know him and really have a relationship with him. And that's why I appreciate you guys so much because even though we're all different, we all feel pain, we all feel love, and that's always going to be the same. On the inside, we're all the same. So glory be to God. Thank you. Excuse me. <clears throat> you know what's amazing? 
as Ricardo shared, he and I are actually related. We're from the same family, just so you all know. Uh, he was actually sharing about my brothers and sisters as he talked there. So Carol and I, we're excited to be able to speak to our brothers and sisters and share today. I'll share a theme passage, and then Carol will share her testimony, then I'll share mine. Amen? So our theme passage comes from Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, and it talks about the supremacy of Christ. And in reference to Christ, it says, And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, that is Christ, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood, which was shed on the cross. Amen. Carol Bray. Good morning. Well, I was born a poor colored child. <laughs> well, that actually is true. I was born poor. And on my birth certificate, you can tell the era. We were joking about this earlier in our pre-huddle. Like, you can tell what era you grew up in because on your birth certificate, when it says race, like Chuck and I's birth certificate, we're Negroes. I kid you not. That's what our birth certificate says. We, we're Negroes. Some of you are African-American, but we're, we're not. We're Negroes. Um, you know, we have a rich culture in our country. It's, it's the summation of a lot of amazing men and women of all races through the ages. And, you know, the benefit that we have today in our church is we can benefit from that rich culture. You know, Chuck read the scripture, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, meaning Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And I want to talk about that peace, by making peace. I want to give you a little bit of background about me. Um, I was half joking, but half serious. I did grow up in a, a poor family. I didn't know I was poor. You don't really know you're poor until somebody contrasts or you see something you don't have. You know what I'm saying. You're happy, and you just think everyone's happy, and everyone has this family. And that's kind of how I grew up. I grew up in Chicago on the west I was born on the west side of Chicago, Chicago, and then grew up on the south side of Chicago. And my life was perfect, like Ricardo was talking about, right up until around 9 or 10 when my mom and dad had a very ugly, ugly divorce. And Chicago, for those of you that don't know very much about the city, is a very, very segregated city. So you had to learn at a very early age where not to go if you were a minority. You knew not to cross certain tracks. You don't go on certain parts of town. You certainly didn't go after a certain time. And so you basically built your whole life around where to, where to live and where not to live. And to this day, it's very much like that. Um, but I want to give you a little bit of, also, I grew up in the 60s. So for people that are really young, um, and I mean under 40, <laughs> this is what I grew up in. Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho was released. The lunch counter sit-in at Woolworths in North, Northboro, North, Greensboro, North Carolina, sorry. Um, Berlin Wall was built. The Freedom Riders challenged segregation on interstate buses. 
The first Bond movie came out. The first Walmart opened. The 16th Street Baptist Church bombing happened. John F. Kennedy was assassinated. Medgar Evans was murdered. There was the March on Washington. King makes his I Have a Dream speech. Nelson Mandela was sentenced to life in prison. Malcolm X was assassinated. The Rolling Stones had the mega hit, I Can't Get No Satisfaction. The U.S. troops were sent to Vietnam. Star Trek, the series started. Martin Luther King, Jr. was assassinated. Robert F. Kennedy was assassinated. Bobby Kennedy was assassinated. See, I grew up in a time where there was a lot of uncertainty, and whether it was internal or external. In my family, I went to bed one night, and the next morning I woke up, and my dad and everything about him vanished, um, just gone. There was no explanation. There was no goodbye. So I learned, you know, you can't get too close to people because you never know when they're going to just disappear on you. And I think that carried on through my later years. So peace, me, hardly, no peace. Segregation, ugly divorce, poverty. We went on welfare. I was ashamed. Um, we had food stamps. We didn't have those cool little cards you have nowadays, you know. You actually had to sit there and count it out. And it was hard for me. Um, and so I said, you know what, I'm going to grow up, and I'm not going to ride this bus, and I'm going to be successful, and I'm not going to depend on a man, and, you know, you fill in the blanks. I'm just, I'm just saying. Instead... Instead of peace, I settled for escape. I escaped through education. I, I escaped through parties. I escaped through looks. I escaped through relationships. I escaped through mo movies. Sounds familiar? I escaped. Um, there was a lot of pain and isolation and fear. The but what I realized growing up is I needed something that was not going to leave me. I needed something that was not going to just disappear. And I, I'm so, so grateful that God didn't give up. And he saw through all the billions of people, he saw, he looked down and saw a little bitty me. And that peace that we've been talking about resonated with me because I needed that. I needed to know that there was somebody out there that wouldn't see this, but that would see my heart, would see the struggle. And I found that in Christ. You know, I love the passage that says he is our peace. And I did find that in Christ. And now I have experienced this this peace, and I have an obligation. When you've been healed from a lot, you have an obligation to pay it forward. You must pay it forward. And you know, 26 years ago, when they started the church in LA, I had that vision, and I said, I have to have an impact. I can't live to get old to die. While I'm here, I have to have some kind of an impact. And so I'm so grateful for this church. I'm so grateful for the obligation that Christ has given me to have an impact and to make a difference. I don't know how much time I have left. Truthfully, none of us do. But the time that I have left, I want to live a powerful life. And I want to offer to other people what God has so mercifully given me, a powerful life filled with mercy and real peace. Thank you.
Again, referring back to our theme scripture in uh, Colossians 1, I'll begin in verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. God wanted to reconcile all things to him in making peace through Christ shed on the cross. You know, everyone's wired a little bit differently. I'm a bit cerebral. I'm an engineer by training undergrad, and actually in my personality, I am a bit more of a nerd. Now, because of Carol, I've become cool over the years. <laughs> but, but naturally, you know, live long and prosper, Spock, I feel you, no emotion, let's just get it done. And, and that, that's who I am naturally. So when I thought about the cross of Christ, the cross in and of itself is not what inspired me. What happened in my life was that godliness was placed in my heart, and out of that grew the cross of Christ. You can relate to what I'm saying. The Bible, the Word of God, was, was built in me, and the sacrifices of the cross grew from that. You know, it's interesting, uh, earlier was mentioned that this is Black History Month. It started out as Negro History Week that was actually originated by one of my fraternity brothers, Carter G. Woodson, uh, who started Negro History Week back in the day. And as an African-American male who's extremely proud and passionate about his heritage and his culture, we've got a, a great legacy of incredible victory as well as incredible challenges that we face in our African-American community. My inspiration, people like Muhammad Ali. Anybody know what happened February 25th, 1964? It's when he knocked out Sonny Liston. It'll be 50 years ago, come next week. Ali was an inspiration to me growing up. He took a stand against the Vietnam War at great personal cost to himself. And, you know, praise the Lord, he was vindicated uh, for that stand on a technicality before the U.S. Supreme Court. Malcolm X was a personal hero for me. Uh, Malcolm X was a man who took a stand against what he thought was wrong. And when he recognized his own error, he was man enough to repent and turn away from error in his life and make the right decision, ultimately it cost him his life. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was always a hero for me because of the great sacrifices he made. And then we have people like W.B. Du Bois, who's not as popular, but he's a fellow Harvard alum and a personal history, personal uh, hero of mine from history. Frederick Douglass gets my Cool Hair Award, if you ever Google him on the Internet. Uh, when I, as I get older and don't have to work, watch. I'm going to let the fro grow. It's going to be gray, y'all. I'm going to look like Frederick Douglass. Wiley Bankston, who I'm sure none of you have ever heard of, was a bricklayer, a janitor, a World War II veteran who taught me my work ethic, was my grandfather. All these men are of African-American descent who stood courageously in the face of oppression and death, and because of their own convictions, they did something great. But you know, through the beauty of the church and as my life grew, other people, like Mahatma Gandhi, became heroes to me. He's the best non-Christian Christian that ever lived. I, I encourage any of us to, to live as Christians as powerful as he did uh, in his beliefs. Winston Churchill, who I'd like to know more about personally, what I always admired about Churchill, he was a short, kind of unattractive dude who rose up and led his nation through an entire crisis. My sorrow as an African-American is we have a cultural crisis going on in my community right now. There's a crisis that's, that's happening. 46% of African Americans don't graduate from high school. 
It's over 50% in L.A. County. One in three black men. Where, where's, I saw Albert. Albert, you out there? Stand up, Albert. Okay, Albert's one black man. Is Tony Newsom out there? Okay, newbie, you stand up. You big, tall black man. Everybody will see you. Stand up, Albert. Stand up. Okay, so statistically, either newbie, Albert, or I are going to go to prison. Now, y'all got to figure out which one of y'all is going to go, because I'm sorry. I can't go to prison, okay? And we can have, you know, make light of it to keep it light, but that's serious. One in three black men in the United States will spend time in prison in their lifetime. And the statistics go on and on and on. My community faces a crisis right now. And so when I think about the cross of Christ, that he came to bring peace, and I look at the cultural and spiritual war that's happening in my own community right now, and I look at the great legacy of the African-American leaders who have gone before me, it inspires me to rise up and do something great. I want to do something about that crisis. I don't want to die and just having watched it happen all around me and not having taken a stand. So I've made some decisions in my life as a result of who I am in Christ and who I am as an African-American. My number one decision is I'm going to be powerful. If you're going to be around me, brace yourself like a man because I'm going to bring it. Okay? I'm going to bring it the rest of my life if you're going to be around me. That's number one. I'm going to be powerful. Number two, I will always work constructively to help build my church. You know, we've gone through a crisis, guys. We, it's been a crisis here. And, and I will say without being accusing anybody, some of what's happened has been destructive in the church. We cannot destroy what God himself has worked so hard to build. We must build our church, not destroy it. I've made that decision. I will always work constructively to help build my church. My third decision is I will work as an African-American man to help build my community, to face the spiritual crisis that it goes on until the peace of Christ reigns in my community and not drama and not challenges. I've got to put to death my sinful nature in order to be more like Christ. So in closing, I want to share another passage from Colossians. <clears throat> what I want to talk about is the culture of Christ. We have a lot of different cultures in our country, but the culture I want us all to have and to work together in all of our different ways. We got any Latinos in the house? Are you passionate about your community? Are you passionate about your people? You should be. You should be proud of who you are. Use who you are to build the church, to build God's kingdom, to build the country. We got any Asian brothers and sisters in the house? I know, I know we got a few. I know we got some Polynesians out there. Yeah, they fired up. They got energy. They like black folks up there from the islands. <laughs> Use your cultural heritage to build the church. We have anyone from European descent in the house. <laughs> Amen. You know, of all the Europeans, I'm a little biased. I personally love my German brothers and sisters because they're kind of nerdy like me. They're engineers. You got to be precise if you're a German. I, I hope I didn't offend, but my German brothers and sisters, they are precise. I love it. I'm an engineer. I'm precise. I appreciate that. Use your cultural heritage. Do we have any Native Americans here? Amen. We got some Native Americans. Use your cultural heritage to build God's kingdom and build his house. In closing, Colossians 3. 
<clears throat> Verse 5. Put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature. I'll just leave it right there. <laughs> Verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people. We got any chosen people in the house? Any chosen people in the house? Holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with wisdom and sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In closing, brothers and sisters, the culture of Christ has to start in our church. Then we have to spread that everywhere we go. We're called to peace because of the cross. We're called to be powerful because of the cross. We're called to be humble because of the cross. We're called to be patient because of the cross, to bear with each other because of the cross, to love one another, to admonish each other, to forgive each other, to sing to one another, to be grateful, and to do it all because of the cross in the name of Jesus Christ. This morning, make a personal decision what you will do in honor to your cultural heritage, in unity with others, because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you so much for my brothers and sisters. <clears throat> thank you for all the guests we have. Thank you that you've given us a purpose and a role. Thank you that you brought my wife and I to L.A. on the mission team those many years ago to help build this church. Father, I pray that you will fill us up with the power of your Holy Spirit, that we will overcome our differences, that we will live powerfully, that we will build a church, that the gates of hell will tremble when they see the power of the brothers and sisters on the west side of Los Angeles and the great things that were done here because of the power of your Holy Spirit, because of your word, because of our cultural heritage, and because of the difference that we've all decided to make in our lives. We praise you, we thank you, we love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, we're dismissed. Go love someone. Amen.